This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. On this week's episode, we're going to do things a little different. Uh, We're moving toward the end of the legislative session, and there's the typical rush to the end with critical legislation moving forward towards its final form. And we'll get back to that next week. But for the last several days, another storyline has come to dominate the Capitol. Depending on who you ask, we've got a war between the three branches of government or a constitutional crisis or an exposing of a long-time issue in the judicial branch. But first, there is kind of a developing story at the Capitol, and we're going to have Holly um, give you guys a summary of that real quick, uh, and we'll probably end up following up with more thorough reporting in next week's episode. Yeah, so more hecticness on top of what was already a pretty intense week. Um, Late Thursday night, the COVID-19 task force set up by the legislature sent out a press release saying that because of a case, a positive case among a lobbyist that's been up at the session and has several close contacts identified over several days, they decided to not allow floor sessions, House and Senate on Friday, and no in-person committees, though we have seen this morning that a handful of legislators did come in person for committees. So we'll be tracking that to see, you know, this is by no means the first case. There's been six legislators who've tested positive. There's been lobbyists who've tested positive. There's been members of the press who've tested positive. But this one, you know, I heard this morning, they're saying because the timing of when they found out about it, they just decided to call off Friday session. But we'll see kind of as this goes forward, how many more people might be positive or close contacts from this. Thanks, Holly. Okay, so uh, to get back on track here, uh, to quickly run down what's happened um, in what we chatted about at the top of the episode, uh, we talked before on this show about new Republican Governor Greg Gianforte getting sued less than 24 hours after he signed Senate Bill 140, giving himself direct appointment power in the case of judicial vacancy. Through the course of that lawsuit, Emails surfaced showing judges around the state had weighed in on the bill before it became law. One judge, appointed after the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court already recused himself, stepped aside after those emails showed he opposed the bill. The GOP leadership in the legislature asked for more emails from the administrator of the court, who said they'd been deleted. So Republicans went to the State Department of Administration, which runs IT for the judicial branch, with a legislative subpoena to get the deleted emails. Department of Administration started running, started turning over thousands of emails, but the Supreme Court quashed release of the emails. And then the legislature told the court, no, we're not going to comply with your order. More has happened since then, including more subpoenas, but that basically sets up the scene for what led us to one branch of government, government telling the other it won't acknowledge their ruling. And on top of this, we're right at the 100-day mark for Gianforte's administration, and it's fair to say this is probably not what he wanted or expected to be dealing with at this point in his term. Seaborn, 
can you parse out for us here the two things going on, this lawsuit and the clash we're seeing now over these emails? Yeah, it's been a pretty wild couple weeks out of the legislature um, since that case was filed, to say the least. So on one hand, we've got this uh, legal challenge in the Supreme Court against SB 140. It's been filed by former Republican and Democratic lawmakers, uh, Montana League of Women Voters, uh, challenging that law as unconstitutional. They say that this, uh, this judicial nomination commission that was put in place 50 years ago was meant to kind of create some space between the governor and his picks for judges just to try to, um, to try to keep those picks from being politicized or, or too partisan. And so as this case is moving along, um, it didn't take long for things to kind of crack open when the attorney general's office, which had somehow obtained uh, an email chain uh, between the state judges where they had basically responded to a poll on whether they oppose or support that legislation back in January during the legislative process before it was signed into law. So that poll um, raised a lot of concern among Republican lawmakers about um, judges issuing opinions on laws before that case comes before them in court to say basically that they've already decided the case and um, any any challenge or any defense of that law wouldn't uh, wouldn't get a fair case. And so from that email poll, we've now seen um, the legislature subpoena the Department of Administration, which is in the executive branch for emails in the judicial branch. You know, the emails that the Department of Administration turned over, uh, you know, close to 2,500 of them um, showed a, a, a ton of things, whether it was, um, you know, weighing in on pending legislation or coordinating with lobbyists to um, address bills or even talking about um, trying to pick off a couple votes in the House or Senate to, to see a bill killed. And so um, all of this, which uh, is done on state government emails, would kind of in uh, coordination with the Supreme Court administrator has sort of given Republicans their uh, footing in arguing that the, the judicial branch is uh, not as impartial as, as uh, it's, it's set out to be. And so with these, with these polls and these subpoenas, um, the legislature has been emboldened enough to form this select committee on judicial account accountability and transparency and uh, next week, we're going to see all seven Supreme Court justices and the Supreme Court administrator be called to the Capitol to uh, um, to kind of answer the legislature's questions on what's going on here. So those who watch politics closely have been watching this incredibly closely. But for someone who is a more casual watcher of politics, can you explain why this is such a big deal? Yeah, you know, I think the um, the civics lesson we're all getting right now is is sort of the how the three branches of government have sort of checks and balances on each other. You know, the legislature writes the laws, and then the executive branch administers and enforces those laws, and then the judicial branch interprets the laws. They call balls and strikes on whether a law that the legislature's passed is is unconstitutional or if it's um, within constitutional bounds. And something like this was uh, seemingly bound to go before the court just because 
like many bills we've heard this session, Republicans are bringing a lot of their priorities fast and hard through the legislature because they've now got a Republican governor who won't veto these bills as they've had to deal with for the last, uh, you know, 16 years. And so the um, Republican strategy for a long time has been to um, pass legislation that upholds conservative values and then have a executive branch that supports that legislation and a court that will uphold it as constitutional by um, its own interpretation. And so while this regular process is playing out, we've got the, the poll is really kind of the center of this, this new dispute where we've got the legislature using the executive branch to harvest emails out of the judicial branch and um, whether or not that is a uh, legal move is, is something the Supreme Court is yet to rule on. But you can see kind of the, 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 the issue here for Republicans is, you know, it's the judicial branch who they don't, they don't trust to be impartial deciding on, um, on these matters. AC Barn, I have a question. What do we know about the actual poll itself? And the responses to it. Now, were the judges responding saying, we don't think this law is a good idea, or were they actually possibly discussing whether they think the legal merits of what they're going to hear about um, have any founding in, in law and how they might rule on it if it came before them? You know, nothing in terms of, uh, no one plainly says, if this if this case comes before me, I'm going to find it unconstitutional. It's, you know, so many, specifically to SB 140, which expanded the governor's power to appoint judicial vacancies. Um, you know, 37 judges responded to that. 34 were in uh, opposition to that bill and three uh, said they would support that. And so most of the large majority of responses that we've seen uh, were simple sort of oppose or uh, support or maybe this is a little bit why, a little bit more about why I oppose it, or um, generally some comments on how the judicial nomination process worked for them and why they thought there should be uh, some changes to it. But, um, you know, generally speaking, it was more about judges saying uh, this, this would just further politicize the, the judiciary. And um, that's sort of how uh, those comments played out. Now, we only saw 18 of those 37 responses because uh, the Supreme Court administrator deleted the other half of those uh, responses. It's unclear to Republicans and uh, I guess unverifiable at this point whether or not the remaining six six Supreme Court justices who will preside over this case uh, responded. They The Supreme Court justices have said in filings that they did not respond to that poll that Republicans um, are certainly concerned and have subpoenaed information about whether or not that's true. See, Warren, I guess I'm, I'm wondering um, all of this investigation of the legislative branch into the judicial branch, why are we seeing it now? Uh, why didn't we see it in previous sessions? Is, is this all spurred off of uh, Senate bill 140? or um, I mean, even with a Democrat in the governor's office, the legislative branch still could have uh, investigated this this um, uh, lobbying effort or or whatever, however they're characterizing it, of the judicial branch. 
it, you know, it certainly seems like now is the best opportunity Republicans have had for a long time to, um, you know, ask these questions and, and uh, examine the credibility of the judicial branch. I talked to former Republican lawmaker Jeff Essman Friday morning about, um, you know, whether this particular dispute, the kind of this um, compounding fight that's going on over this right now, whether or not this was part of the long-term strategy to um, sort of reimagine the, the courts with a, with a more conservative lean. And, um, you know, he said right now the, the time where we've got the Republican legislature and we've got a Republican governor, um, Republicans have, have two of those three branches handled. And while the judicial branch is supposed to be nonpartisan, the legislature has needed to take this time right now to defend the laws that it's passed to show that um, they stand by the constitutionality of their laws as they interpret it. And so, you know, as we've seen a lot of Republican angst um, kind of pent up over the last 16 years, particularly in the last year or so when uh, the executive branch has um, been able to spend all this federal money associated with COVID, you know, Jeff Vestman said this is uh, kind of their time to react uh, appropriately. Otherwise, they would sort of maintain that, uh, as he called it, a black dog status in the in the three branches of government. That's one thing I'm kind of curious about is I feel like the branch we don't talk about a ton in this is the executive. And it's interesting because like you were just saying, like this is a moment where Republicans in the legislature have been waiting 16 years to be able to pass these things without getting a veto at the end. And I think just, you know, covering the 2020 election, there was a lot of discussion about sort of what the Republicans, you know, it was assumed the Republicans would, and they did and increase their majorities in the legislature and how they would respond, you know, if there'd be an effort to moderate what they wanted to do, given Gianforte's first term to not sort of come out of the gate and just plow through everything that was maybe to the farther right than where people might be. And, and they were kind of seeing the answer with, you know, we've seen it with previous legislation that's come through, but this now, but I'm curious, like what you're hearing from the executive branches here reporting this, because I'm wondering, you know, they haven't, obviously they're, they're a party to the suit. You reported that this is legislation that Gianforte and we had the Lieutenant Governor really vocally advocating for, but then they've been pretty quiet, it seems like in this, and one of their agencies is kind of in this position of having to decide, like, do we follow the Supreme Court's directive to us? Do we follow this legislative subpoena? Like, what are you hearing from them as you're reporting on this? Yeah, unfortunately, not much uh, this week as we've reached out to the to the governor's office and the Department of Administration to ask, you know, where do these lines fall in terms of the Department of Administration's ability to to grab those emails? And, um, you know, the the governor's office uh, twice did not respond to to questions or requests for um, interviews um, on this topic. And so we're we're sort of left wondering whether or not um, Greg Gianforte had um, really wanted this fight to play out so early in his, in his administration. Um, I certainly think uh, the legislature is ready for the fight, but um, new department of administration director, um, you know, her confirmation process has uh, made it out of committee only this week. And she's not even confirmed by the Senate this week or quite yet. And so, uh, 
this this sort of seems like a pretty big fight to take on uh, for folks who are who are still brand new in state government. That's it's been interesting to me to watch that because my framework for covering the legislature it's adversarial between the legislature and the governor, which I think gives you know when it's a Democrat governor they're more free to obviously critique the legislature. And now you've got these interesting where Gianforte had his first veto that was overturned, and they are having some disputes over power of the executive, especially when it comes to administrative rules. And you kind of saw the lieutenant governor this week pretty direct in her frustrations, I think, with legislators about their attempts there. But then at the same time, they're in lockstep here, even it feels like Gianforte is kind of letting the legislature take the lead while he is kind of sitting back and letting it unfold. You know, Tom, I, I I wonder what kind of public access questions uh, you have about this whole process. I mean, we've seen so many emails flying around in the last week from different departments and agencies and uh, institutions of government. I mean, what what do you think about where, where are the public access questions for you on this? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think a lot of people in journalism um, have done public records requests for government emails. Um, those are public documents. Um, they are allowed to redact them. Um, I think it's safe to say that no journalist in Montana has ever had 2,500 emails turned over on a Sunday um, in response to that request. Um, certainly, we don't have subpoena power, um, you know, like the chairman of the Senate Judiciary C- Committee does. And, and you know, that that's to be expected. But um, I think one of the interesting things when, when you looked at um, one of the reasons this, the Supreme court quashed the original subpoena that's, that's now under dispute. Um, they said, well, we haven't had the, the, the confidentiality issues haven't been worked out. You know, what is in here that um, the Supreme court administrator was discussing or, you know, other people may have been discussing that that would be confidential, would be subject to ongoing litigation, um, and should that be released. So we saw some effort, I think, in the in the second subpoena, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, to sort of narrow the scope of what they right. were asking for yep. um, to try to make it to address that. But I, it's still, we haven't really gotten answers yet to um, whether there's legal a legal argument to be made to to quash that or to defy that first um, quash subpoena or not. And like you said, we, we haven't really heard a lot from the executive on that. On the other hand, I don't know if we would expect to um, with ongoing litigation. I think typically as reporters, we can ask the questions and, and have some expectation that um, if we do get an answer, it's going to be a, a no comment. Um, yeah. But it, it does raise some interesting questions when you look at I guess just the basic question of what is a public document. Uh, we know s- administrator branch emails or executive branch emails are public documents. Um, what we've seen a little bit in the judiciary is that they have some bylaws that say um, there's also not an expectation of privacy. Um, you're still a state employee with their emails. Um, on the other hand, I don't know of a case where certainly in my career where we've tried to uh, request administrative emails from the judiciary. Um, so I think at least for me and, you know, there certainly are more seasoned reporters in the state. Um, 
it's a big unknown to me exactly what what you'd be able to get um, and what would and wouldn't be redacted if you did get it. Okay, so I, talking about all this, I have a question that's kind of still burning a hole in my head. Um, can judges across the state, whether they're district judges or Supreme Court justices, can they lobby on behalf of the judicial branch and legislation that may affect the judicial branch? Do we have any idea of that they've done it historically? I think that's kind of one of the big questions we have left to answer is just, you know, if judges are not to um, issue opinions on on things that might come before them for the court. If you're if you're a journalist who's ever interviewed a, a, a candidate for a district court judge or Supreme Court judge or watched a debate uh, between candidates in this arena, you, you get so frustrated by the answer that they can't. Uh, answer a certain question on how they might handle something, say like a mask mandate or um, abortion. But the process of legislating requires input on uh, matters that directly affect people like judges. If we're going to see the legislature attempt to revise the judiciary, certainly you'd think that we need to hear from uh, judges on that matter. And so with the Montana Judges Association, their president is uh, Yellowstone County District Court Judge Greg Todd, and he has been a pretty present, uh, you know, actor in these um, proceedings, whether it's SB 140 or, um, you know, these different bills that have tried to rework the Judicial Standards Commission, that have tried to make uh, judicial elections partisan um, and tried to, uh, you know, elect Supreme Court justices by district. There's a cut, there's a ton of different pieces of legislation that would, I think, critically alter who sits on the court and how they get there. And so the question of whether or not um, judges can kind of participate in this process before it actually gets to them is something that um, is not really clear right now. I know Holly's had a lot of thoughts about this as well. I like what I've been thinking through a lot this week is, you know, obviously judges are different because they're in a situation where it might come before them in court, like we're seeing now. But like you just said, like they know about this stuff and there's this expectation that agencies who would be affected by legislation would come in and would provide comment about it. And then thinking through like this email was sent, on behalf of the Judges Association, which is a registered lobbyist. And so it seems to me like that would raise questions about using state email to send an email on behalf of a lobbying organization. And then you look though, and you know, there's legislators who send emails you know, basically with questions from lobbyists all the time to each other. And we know a lot of legislation is brought at, you know, the request of outside groups, you know, conservative or liberal trying to change policy in Montana. So there's just this mix of like all these things that happen. And it looks like this is something that's been happening with the judiciary. Like it's pretty standard thing. It appears it's just a glimpse into it's making me think about all these other things that we just assume are part of this process and wonder if we should be calling them into question too. Yeah. Holly, I think that's a great point about the state email Um, for all the unknowns in this, um, I think what there is precedent for is certainly the use of state resources for political purposes. Um, we've seen that time and again, um, commission or political practices. And 
the one that just comes to mind, and I know there's other ones, is um, you know we had um, the former Secretary of State used his um, his staff and state email to announce his uh, bid for a higher office, and um, you know that was that was pretty quickly adjudicated by the Commissioner of Political Practices and found to be improper, and uh, a fine was levied. So um, I think that's the one place where I look at this and I say, okay, I. I I think we do have some history and some things we can look at here and, and probably say at this point that, um, that that certainly is questionable. Yeah, that's, I'm curious to see. Um, I don't know if we talked about the commission that legislators are forming and kind of the timeline there for them investigating the judiciary, but just thinking about again, the former secretary of state and the legislative audit commission did um, a legislative audit division and then the legislative audit committee that meets during the interim did like a pretty deep dive into his use of a state pickup to commute for personal use. And it really tore. I remember I was reading through that story yesterday and uh, Senator Jason Ellsworth, who's a key part in this was pretty critical of the secretary of state then. And then you did have some Republican legislators who were a little more defensive of the secretary of state and he was a Republican then, but just thinking about that. And obviously this is a bigger issue. That's been something that they've wanted to look into for some time, but just how that was handled versus this. So uh, before we wrap this up, does anybody have any final thoughts about um, what's going on between the three branches of Montana state government? It's pretty unprecedented. I've talked to a couple of people about it and it's not, something that's, you know, like Seaborn's reporting showed like legislative subpoenas for one aren't super common, but I couldn't find anybody who could come up with a time when the legislature just said no thank you to a Supreme Court order. Well, I think, I think too, part of this is we don't know exactly what we're going to see on Monday. Uh, My frame of reference keeps going back to like congressional hearings and I don't know if that's what um, the judiciary, the majority in the judiciary are trying to create is, is somewhat of a, a spectacle to really highlight what they see as malfeasance or is it, uh, you know, you know what, what are we going towards here? I, I, I'm not really sure. And maybe Seaborn has a better idea than I do. You know, next week I think is uh, pretty up in the air in terms of what the actual uh, end game is here. You know, I've talked to a, a couple lawmakers on this select committee that was formed to look into this and none of them are really comfortable talking on the record about, um, where this is going or what the, what the legislative intent is going to be because this, this committee and subpoenas, they all have to, with the legislative branches power to investigate stuff like this, it all has to be tied to some purpose towards enacting legislation. And, um, I think from what I've heard, the most likely uh, result of this, you know, we're we're towards the end of the legislature. I think it's day seventy three, so we're coming up on, uh, you know, very little time for lawmakers to actually pass a law that can change any of this with by the end of the legislature. So I think what we're looking at most likely is uh, something to be thrown to an interim committee uh, ahead of the twenty twenty three session and. Um, what that looks like or what kind of changes they're going to make to, uh, email policy, email retention policy, or, um, you know, use of state resources in the judicial branch. 
um, or, uh, you know, whether or not judges can, can have the right to lobby on legislation that affects them, I think are, are certainly all on the table. Now, I'm also super curious. I mean, I think we talked a lot about like branches of government, but not political parties. And obviously, Republicans are majority in the legislature hold the governor's office. I'm curious what Democrats do with this committee when they meet. You know, like obviously, there's two on the or how many are there three or just two? Two. Two. And so, you like obviously they don't have as much power being in the minority, but what they try to do or how they try to push back, like could end up being kind of a defining moment this session for what being in the minority means. All right. So for those following along at home, um, it almost seems like there is an update to this story every afternoon. Um, but what do we know people can look forward to uh, as far as developments in this story? So on Monday, the um, seven Supreme Court justices, the Supreme Court administrator are all due to appear at the Capitol. Um, Supreme Court Administrator Beth McLaughlin is uh, supposed to testify at 9 a.m. Monday at the Capitol. Her attorney on uh, Friday filed legal action to try to block those subpoenas. Um, We'll see if uh, by the end of the day or perhaps into the weekend, we've seen that already once, Uh, if the Supreme Court rules on that subpoena. Um, The Supreme Court, which would rule on the subpoena, is (laughs) due to appear in the Capitol uh, on their own subpoenas at 3 p.m. on Monday. And so, um, you know, what happens from here is is, uh, is really, I guess, anyone's guess. All right. That's another episode of Big Sky Lead. Uh, Make sure if you want to keep keep updates on this, uh, follow wherever podcasts are found. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.